Hello there, Duke fans, and welcome to another edition of the Duke Basketball Report podcast, your favorite, the number one Duke basketball podcast on the web. Um, I am your host this week, Jason Evans. I think we're the number one Duke pod- podcast on the web. I can't imagine we're not because I don't think there's another one that exists. <laughs> not, not if that there is, yeah, not that we know of. If there is, they ain't, they ain't getting the numbers we're getting. They hear our um, they I, hear our podcast and they realize that they shouldn't even bother competing. Yes, they weep. They weep for mercy. Um, I am joined, as you just heard, by my two compadres, uh, my partners in crime, so to speak, Sam Klein in Denver, Colorado. Hey, uh, this week a third of the podcast is brought to you by a can of Dale's Pale Ale that is sitting inside of a Duke koozie. Hey, dude, were you paid for that endorsement? No, I wish I was, because if they wanted to give me free Dale's Pale Ale for life, that would be like my favorite thing ever. There you go. And also in Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, Donald Wine. Uh, One third of this podcast is brought to you by Water in a generic uh, Nalgene bottle. And the other third of this podcast is brought to you by me um, needing to get a drink. I I should have gotten a drink. My throat is already feeling parched. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Gentlemen, um, it was uh, uh, we're recording this. Tuesday night, um, about uh, an hour and a half or so after Duke took care of business against Wake Forest in a game that was um, uh, ugly. Ugly is really the only way to describe it. Not not one of Duke's great efforts, but um, you'll take the wins where you can get them. Um, It was also a week that saw um, Duke lose a game uh, on the road. Probably uh, probably is, you know, one of the worst beatdowns we've seen of Duke in quite some time um, at at Pittsburgh. um, And also a week in which the Blue Devils took care of Florida State. Um, quite nicely, a, a pretty impressive win there. Um, I, you know, Donald, I'm going to start with you. Pick any one of these games, or pick all three of them. Donald, tell me some impressions. What 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 are you seeing from the Blue Devils at at this point? So I, I was I happened to be out in Denver this weekend. Um, I did not get a chance to see Sam. By the way, um, Sam was uh, out in the slopes, which is which is great, and he was enjoying his weekend. Um, but I was I, watching. I, I, am, I am sorry, by the way, Donald, that I didn't get to see you. But oh no, it's, it's, it's it seems like you had a good time. It was. It was a great time. Uh, I had a great time in Denver, and I will be back uh, very, very soon, hopefully. Uh, but the one game that I got to see out there was Pitt. And uh, one of the stats that I looked at that's probably the stat of the week because it kind of blew my mind is that Pitt shot 50% from the floor for the entire game. Now, if you watch that game, you may know that that is like, it seems like a travesty because it seemed like Pitt shot 92% from the floor. It seemed like everything was going in for them. And we just could not match that uh, intensity that they showed at home for a game that they desperately needed to solidify their stance in the uh, NCAA tournament uh, uh, bracket bracketology. So uh, I, I, I don't want to take too much from that loss other than, you know, it seemed like everything was going against us. Uh, it seemed like everything was going in for them and, and was running out for us. Um, even when we had great defensive plays, um, they were able to get good shots and, and make them uh, or difficult shots and make them as well. So uh, I, I think the one takeaway from this week was I even in our loss, I think we all these games were gritty. They were scrappy. They weren't really great basketball games to watch visually. Um, but I think we're in a good position Anyway, I think we're in the position that we need to be uh, entering this last uh, game against UNC uh, this week. Uh, you know, yeah. uh, really quick, I'll, I'll let me say something about the Pitt game, and 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 then um, Sam, I'll go over to you. I, I thought this game was the quintessential "we're exhausted" game, um, uh, and and Pitt had more energy, and that's not something you usually see from Duke. Um, and I apologize. You know what? I'm going to go back to Florida State really quickly to mention something that I didn't see in the pit game. In the Florida State game, there was a great moment. Duke was leading by 18 points. There was two minutes left. Um, and Matt Jones, you know, the guy with the busted ankle, went to the floor to get a loose ball. Now, whether or not Matt Jones got that ball didn't really matter in the grand scheme of the game. Again, Duke was leading by 18 points. There was two minutes left. In fact, with 15 seconds left and Duke still up 15 points, Grayson Allen was going to the floor to get a knee burn. Um, to get a floor burn, sorry, and and knock a ball away. Um, and and that was the way Duke played in that Florida State game, 110% at all times. Um, and I think playing that way, which is how they've been playing for more than a month now, um, for two months really, since since they lost to Mill Jefferson, these guys have been working so damn hard. It just caught up to them. And they they just didn't, you know, Pitt, Pitt punched him in the mouth and Duke didn't have an answer because they didn't have enough energy to have an answer. 
Um, and, uh, and, yeah, go ahead. At this point, at this point in the ACC season, um, Pittsburgh's obviously a team that's had kind of an up and down season. They would like to, you know, edge their way into the NCAA tournament. So this game meant a lot to them, obviously, to beat a uh, what had been a surging Duke team. Um, to beat them down pretty good and right from the tip. I mean, Duke, Duke didn't come close um, to matching Pittsburgh. They were down seven at the half, which felt like a, you know, which felt like a gift. Um, and and where, early in the second half, the, the score ballooned away and Duke never really had a chance to catch up. Um, so I think you're right, Jason. I think that this Duke team is tired. They've obviously only got seven guys who are playing major minutes and or six guys rather who are playing major minutes. And therefore all those guys are playing, you know, over 30 minutes a game. Chase Jeter, as much as, as much as Coach K is trying, Chase Jeter is still having trouble, you know, putting together complete possessions worth of of useful basketball. He's not um, – he can't stop himself from fouling. So, uh, you know, unless – Well, but, 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 hey, let yeah. me jump in on Chase Jeter really quick. He did, Har- yeah. Again, harken back to the Florida State game. Go ahead, Chase yeah. Jeter had four yeah. minutes. And, and, I mean, you know, this is where we are with Chase Jeter, that we're, we're looking at four-minute stretches and going, wow, he had four minutes in the first half <laughs> against Florida State that was easily – Easily his best four minutes oh, yeah. of the year, like yep, not absolutely. even close. Right, um, but really, but, but really. Overall, but but yeah. overall, it's not like we're seeing we're seeing an enormous trend from him. Obviously, against Pittsburgh, he you know wasn't useful, and then and then in this un this strangely tight game against Wake Forest, where you know it was a it was a weeknight, um, so it's not like it was one of those weekend afternoon games where the team has an excuse to be lazy. Um, you know they they got to they and they know that the season is winding down. They know they have to they have to get in gear because. UNC game is coming up this Saturday, and then after that, any remaining games are all postseason games. They're all against teams who are whose seasons will end if uh, if they lose. So, uh, yeah, I but think- but against Wake Forest, Chase Jeter collected 100% of Duke's um, points off the bench. Luke Kennard had a big goose egg. Chase yeah. Jeter one for two free throws. That is that is true, and 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 all the credit to him for being the bench production. Regardless, Duke didn't really need it tonight. Um, Obviously, the team was led by Grayson Allen, who was all over the place. Uh, and I know that we're gonna we're gonna talk about him a little bit more extensively. But I did just want to, you know, kind of mention him in his own segment here when we're when we're looking back at games because uh, he was so ferocious tonight. the The way that he uh, has been able to attack the rim and draw fouls and and get baskets has just been unbelievable. Um, we talk a lot, I think, about, or at least I do on this podcast to talk a lot about Marshall Plumley and the strides that he's made this year. And obviously we saw it tonight, even though he fouled out, uh, he had a really strong double double. I think he set his career mark for rebounds was what they were saying. 17, 17, 17 rebounds, 13 points. That's a big, big game. And big game. coming right after he was utterly ineffective. He was the pit game. I mean, if, if this wake game may have been his best game of the year and it, it's darn close to it. And by of the year, I mean, of his career, that pit game may have been the worst game of the year for him. And 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 I don't even necessarily want to want to take away want to put all the blame for the pit loss on on Plumley because no, no. he was down there he was down there in the post trying to get rebounds against three or four other guys on every possession. So there was only so much he was going to be able to do against that. I think that I think that Duke team overlooked maybe uh, how strong the rebounding would be from Pittsburgh. And by the time they by the time they started crashing the boards a little harder, it was already too late. But. Um, but I was, was going to say that Marshall Plumley had a really strong game tonight, but Grayson Allen uh, really seemed to carry this team. It, the, the fire that he had tonight uh, was was unmatched, and I think that as much as we expected him to um, to show great strides this year, um, you know, averaging over twenty points a game tonight, he he scored. Uh, it was a big number. I don't remember exactly what the number was tonight, but he scored a big number tonight. It was like thirty points. Third, um, yeah, yeah, looked really strong on both ends of the floor. Um, Really showed that he's been that he's been the leader of this team. I think you know you can you can kind of argue between Allen and Ingram as to who the more talented player is, but but Allen has really become the the centerpiece of this team, and uh, and I think that's going to be important if Duke is going to uh, you know he has to keep playing like this if Duke's going to if Duke's going to make it far in the tournament. And that Pittsburgh loss really hurts Duke's chances in the ACC. I know we're going to get uh, we're going to get to that discussion in a little bit as well. Um, it probably knocks off the momentum that Duke had to like maybe sneak up to like a three seed in the tournament. I think that, you know, the, a four might be their highest at this point. Um, so they're going to need to play strong They're So they're only going to maybe be favored in one tournament game before they have to turn around and play like, um, you know, play a, a higher seeded or a lower seeded team um, once the, uh, once the tournament comes around. But uh, I, Jason, did you want to, um, 
Did you want to wrap well, up with those games, or do you want to move on to the, well, to the big comments? I, I, I wanted to mention want to mention one. Um, uh, you know me, I'm, I'm the numbers guy. I wanted to mention one thing about that Pitt game um, that I think really tells the story of the game. And we talked about, you know, Pitt shot very well from the field. They were making acrobatic shots that they don't necessarily make all the time. Um, when they missed, um, Pitt had 16 offensive rebounds. Duke had 13 defensive rebounds. Um, I, I'm not sure if you guys can do that math, but that means that when Pitt bothered to miss a shot, it was more likely that they got the offensive rebound than we got the defensive rebound. Uh, you ain't gonna win. You ain't gonna win many games that way. You're you're just you're not. You're not at all. Um, I, so I think I, wanna... the, uh, I think the like offense, not not the offense, but the total rebounding stats at the end of the first half was something like. 24 to 7 or something like that at the end oh. of the first half it was it was it was terrible and it was something where even just watching it you just felt like helpless like you like you said you know Plumley was down there doing everything he could over over these guys to get try and get rebounds and it just they just weren't coming into his hands um so donald i'm going to toss the next question to you and and i want to uh, you know are you guys cool we we're moving on from the the games of the past week are we cool with that yeah yep Okay, so so I want to move to the, the biggest thing that happened in the world of college basketball over the past week, which is that um, Grayson Allen tripped a guy, uh, Xavier Rattan Mays, who, who wasn't moving very fast and didn't get hurt or anything like that and really was only mildly inconvenienced by it and was pulling on Grayson's jersey before he, before he tripped him. Um, but Grayson Allen tripped a guy, and um, the world of college basketball lost its mind, um, especially ESPN. Uh, at one point on my uh, ESPN app, um, I was checking it on Saturday, um, and I was just reading the ACC feed, the ACC news feed, and um, five of the top seven stories were various reactions to the fact that Grayson Allen had committed the horribly egregious, terrible sin of tripping a guy. Um, Donald, uh, should Grayson have, should the ACC or should Duke have forced Grayson to sit out a game? Give me your thoughts on Tripgate. Okay, so... The, the short answer is no, they should not have suspended him. Um, I think the reprimand was fine, the, the letter or the, you know, don't do it again. Um, here's the thing about it. The first one um, against Louisville a couple of weeks ago, there was, I guess, the, the you could argue that it was, uh, that it was unintentional, that he didn't try to trip the guy, that it was kind of, you know, wrong place, wrong time. He was trying to get up and no, go. No, Oh, the, oh, yeah, the first one, the first one. The yeah, first yeah, one, yeah. the first one. He's trying to go down the court, and he turns around, and as he's turned around, dude runs over his foot, trips him. This one was more egregious. However, it wasn't completely 100%, you know, that it was Grayson Allen. You know, I, I, was, I was in the air uh, when this game happened, and when I landed, I got all these texts from people saying, I can't believe Allen tripped that dude. Like, you know, he did that on purpose. And so it led me to believe that he just, like, went after this kid and uh, this guy on the court and, and tripped him. Um, without provocation. And there was some provocation in this. I don't want to say that this was all not on Allen. Allen is totally uh, at fault for tripping the guy. Uh, but it wasn't a whole instance where, you know, the other guy was, you know, completely blameless in this situation. Is Allen a villain? No, he's not a villain. But he's being painted as one, and I don't think that's fair. Um, I think that he – what people don't realize is he is getting – he is getting the full, uh, what is the word, the full coverage of what he's doing when there's so much that goes on during the games that happens to him that is being overlooked. Like, for instance, we're not talking about uh, the, the uh, Jalen Johnson elbowing him and after the game saying, yeah, I meant to elbow him in the face because I thought he was trying to hit me. So I, we're not talking about Jalen Johnson hitting, you know, deliberately hitting uh, – Allen in the face during the Louisville game, the second Louisville game over a week ago, and then admitting that he did it on purpose, admitting that it was retaliation and saying that he would do it again. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about two guys at the end of the game jawing with each other, grabbing each other's jerseys, and one guy trying to pull him away and Grayson Allen tripping him. All of a sudden, this becomes the biggest situation in the history of college basketball. Allen is the biggest villain since Christian Leitner. And I don't think that's fair. I, I think that people aren't are looking at one side of the situation and they're not looking at all sides. Um, but having said that, I do think that because Allen is in the the eye now, he has to be more careful. He can't he can't you know 
if he chips another person, we're, we're going to have this conversation again. The ACC or even the NCAA, if it's in the tournament, will step in. And it will be something where, you know, three strikes, it, it, that will happen. So I, I, I think that he needs to be more careful going forward. But I'm not ready to put uh, – I'm, while I'm ready to give him some of the blame, I'm not ready to give all of it to him. Sam, yeah. your turn. I – the whole thing is stupid, right? Yeah. Um, Grayson Allen's not – Grayson Allen's not some kind of villain. He's not like he's not out there like doing dirty stuff all the time. Um, this thing happened. The thing against Louisville happened. I think in both did both instances um, that the thing was instigated by somebody else, and and Allen, you know, foolishly on his part, um, sort of ratcheted the thing up and, and made it, you know, gave gave I guess the haters an excuse to to say something. And and obviously ESPN has run with this whole thing because because you know Duke gets clicks and Duke gets eyeballs and and having a Duke guy that people hate whether he's Greg Paulus, um, for some reason, or, or Steve Wojciechowski, or I mean, name every every white point or shooting guard that Duke has ever had. JJ Reddick. So wait, so you saw the video? You saw the video? Yeah, I mean, it's all the villains all, of Duke. ESPN has this video. It's the it villains doesn't make of Duke. Any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Greg Paulus oh. and Grayson Allen are nothing alike, right? Greg I didn't Paulus see the video, and I don't feel like it because here's the thing, and I'm and, and you know what, we're we're treading over this line, and I think I'm going to step over it. They're not talking about every Duke basketball player. They're talking about a particular set of basketball players that when they show up on campus, people immediately say, that's the guy I'm going to hate. And if you think about two years or last year, or I'm sorry, actually, I guess it would be two years ago now, when Grayson Allen was winning the dunk contest in the McDonald's All-American game, I remember watching that distinctly. And I remember watching him during the McDonald's All-American game and as they zoomed in on him, one of the uh, uh, guys, and I, I, I forgot who was with uh, Jason Williams, uh, uh, Jay Will, he was one of the broadcasters. The other broadcaster said, there's Duke's next hated player. And I don't understand why we are talking about players before they come in. Like They just anointed him before he even stepped foot on campus as that guy has a hateable face or that guy you know, is going to be the one that is hateable because for some people it looks like he doesn't deserve to be on the court. He doesn't look like a prototypical athlete, you know, superstar athlete, but he, he looks is. like Ted Cruz. He looks he like looks, Ted Cruz. Well, I, I want to say that Ted Cruz looks like him, but except that Ted Cruz is like, you know, probably 30 years older than him. But having said that, it, it's, it's, I think it's terrible that people have this in their mind before they do it. So like, I mean, how fast did that Dana O'Neill so come the, out? All the, well, and, and all the, um, and all the evidence that comes out for people to, to use to hate him is just, you know, it's, it's sort of like after the fact, like after they've decided that they already um, are going to yeah. hate him for whatever yeah. particular reason. And, and we said, you know, I, I think I said this on the podcast months ago, um, and I've seen other people make this comparison that the Duke player that Grayson Allen reminds me the most of is Gerald Henderson. I still stand by that. I still think that his game looks a lot like Gerald Henderson's game when he was in college on both sides of the court. And, um, and you know what? Nobody hated Gerald Henderson for like throwing down dunks and and making like you know great breakaways and playing good defense and and getting in passing lanes and, and doing. So Sam, something just cut you off there. I don't know what it was, but but I'm going to jump in really quick and then I'll let you get back on this again because um, I wanted to. D Donald, you were talking. Um, you said you hadn't seen the ESPN video. The ESPN video is titled "The Villains of Duke." Um, what a reprehensible freaking title. Um, and oh, it I, starts I didn't with, see. I, I I know it was there. I yeah. deliberately didn't see it. I didn't. Want yeah. To so it, it. there's but, no but, there's but, no point. We know what it, we know what it has on there. No, we no. But I do. I want to talk. I want to mention it. So it shows Grayson tripping the kid, and it then shows highlights in succession of Wojo, JJ, Greg Paulus, and then Leitner. Um, it doesn't show any of those other guys doing anything. Like I was sure it was going to show, um, Leitner stomping on um Aminu Timberlake's chest. Uh, you know, how can you leave that out if you're going to show the villains of Duke? I thought for sure they'd show, you know, J.J. strutting a little bit after hitting a three or something. No, it just shows no, Wojo, J.J. It would be J.J. Throw, throwing up the shocker is, is really yep. what his, mm -hmm. he did. As, yeah, as a, you're right. Such, right. Such a yes. <laughs> yes. But, like, it didn't show them doing anything other than playing hard, playing good defense. Like, Wojo shows them playing good defense, making baskets and celebrating. Suddenly, you're a villain. Suddenly, ESPN says you're a villain. You're evil for being a good shooter and a tough competitor. What the hell is this? I have no idea what the point of this is. But I was, I was, I wanted you to know I was really bothered. So, after it shows these guys, I was really bothered 
because after that, they then they put white hoods on all the Duke players' heads and they branded them KK. No, they didn't really do that. But I, I mean, that's that's as that's what ESPN is basically doing at this point. You're hitting they at the saying, heart of what it is. You're hitting at yes. the heart of what they're looking for. Yes, they are. They say that Duke is the evil white team. That's what ESPN's saying, and it's reprehensible and it's awful. And I don't want to forgive Grayson for tripping the guy because. Uh, yeah, there's a great moment on College Game Day where uh, Reese, what's his name, the the Reece host Davis. of College, Reese Davis. The, all everyone's giving their opinions and talking about it, and and Seth Greenberg's being a freaking idiot and and talking about how Duke should have suspended him and all this other stupid stuff. And but Reese Davis said, you know what the best solution to all this is? Grayson Allen shouldn't trip anybody, and that's the bottom line, and that's the truth. And Grayson Allen shouldn't trip anyone. So I don't want to forgive what Grayson Allen did, but ESPN is making this into. And they started even before he tripped the guy. He was already – they were already writing columns about the evil, you know, Grace Allen and being the next hated player. And the last thing, and then I'll toss it back to you guys again. Uh, something occurred to me in the midst of all the Grayson hate going on this week. And by the way, I do think he did not get as many calls in the wake or the pit game because the refs don't want to be seen as protecting the bad guy who trips people. Um, if I was Grayson Allen – I would not want to deal with petty college rivalries and jealousies anymore. I would say, hey, NBA, here I come. Am yeah, I wrong? It, it, you're, you're totally right. I was actually saying to my friend I was watching the game with tonight that, um, you know, the, like the more you watch Grayson play, and I was talking about him earlier, the more you watch him play, the more it seems like he's an NBA player already, right? I mean, he, he makes moves uh, all over the place that look like an NBA player. So um, I, I, th I think he's going to leave. I think it makes the most sense for him to leave. And I think that this, all this stupidity that's gone on the last few weeks is just going to help, you know, shove him out the door. Um, whether, you know, whether he wants to continue his, his Duke career or not, I think that that, 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 that choice has kind of already been made. Um, and, and I did want to also highlight in the, in the game tonight, there was a point late in the game where he got hip checked right into the student section. I think I saw on Twitter. Yeah, one, of yeah. the, one of the writers, I think his laptop got broken by it. And, uh, and you know what, Grayson just, just got himself up. I think a couple of the guys helped him off the, um, off the press table, but he got up and he went and he like took his free throws and was like, you know what, F this, like, I, I don't care about, about these, about these stupid Wake Forest players who've won like two ACC games this year. I'm just going to go to the line and do my thing and not care about them. Cause I know they're trying to antagonize me. I know they're, you know, they're not playing for anything. Um, all they're playing for is to, is to get me rattled and, and he didn't fall for it. So, um, credit to him. It, it seems like you know, other than his momentary lapses, like uh, tripping Rattan Mays the other night, um, he's he's played pretty comfortably this year, and he's been able to swallow a lot of a lot of all this stupid mess that's gone on. Uh, you know, in the Pittsburgh game, the the crowd, I guess, was chanting all kinds of annoying stuff at him, and uh, and he's able to just let it roll off of him. Um, maybe he maybe he talked to JJ Redick about it because because I guess JJ was was good at, <laughs> at 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 taking it and and not letting it affect him and and maybe harnessing it for good. Um, so you know what I'm you know as stupid as as some of the stuff Grayson Allen did this week was I'm proud of him because he hasn't he hasn't really stooped to the level that that it seems like you know the whole like national college basketball media and and fans um, seem to want him to be they, they, like he's not he's not entirely giving them. Um, the persona that they've, they've created for him. And you know what? That's kind of the point, right? Like, we're talking about an entire season. And if you think about it, even last year, too, we heard this from, you know, this villain approach from him, uh, from people about him late in the season and in the Final Four, when, like, who is this kid coming off the bench and scoring all these points in the national championship game? He hasn't played all year. Like, what? Like what's he doing here? And it's almost like people are doubting him at every corner. And not, I mean, I mean, not like Duke fans. Obviously, we we love him, but like people are are trying to paint him as this as this monster before he even gets a chance to give them a reason. If you think about this entire season, like all the like fouls that he, the chippiness, the chippy fouls that he's been, had to put up with, all the tugging and pulling, and people elbowing him in the face, and 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 things like that the entire year, and he's been painted a villain off of two plays this entire year. That doesn't seem fair, especially when you think about what, you know, the fact that, that really, if you think about, if you're looking at his entire game, what he's given us all year, he's given us, you know, something that National Player of the Year uh, pundits should be talking about because he's been one of the best players in college basketball all year. But we're talking about two plays, one of which is debatable whether or not he actually intended to do anything. And the other one, 
at the the end result of quote unquote a retaliation, uh, you would say um, something that happened to him a week before that wasn't you know really talked about. This is I I I don't know why it's you know we're going we're basically his whole entire persona has been painted differently based on two plays, and and I think that's really unfair to him. I think that's unfair to our program because people have been using it as a chance to bash our program, saying that we are that this happens all the time, that, you know, Duke gets all the calls, we have all these terrible players. Well, we don't. Like, we've been winning over these last few years. We're not having monsters like some of these other programs. We, we have guys who go to school, they, they get good grades, they graduate, they go on to the NBA, or, they, or if they go in the NBA, they still end up going back to college and they're model citizens, not just in college, but in life and in the pros. So I, I don't understand why at every turn people have to do this. And, and I know you guys face it in your hometowns. I face it a lot here. Like, the, why do we have to defend our players? I'd love to defend our players because there's really not many things that I can say, you know what, I can't, I don't, I can't really explain that. And, we're, again, we're talking about two plays here in college basketball. Over the course of college basketball, and all of a sudden this kid who really has been doing very well all year is now the, the monster of college basketball. And I don't get it. I really don't. Can we, can we move on to something lighter? Yes, please. Yes, Jason. Jason, bring us something lighter. Uh, so, so how about we let's 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 talk about the the Carolina game coming up this weekend. And hey. I don't I don't know that you can really talk about this game and not talk about the ACC race because this is the final game of the ACC regular season. Um, are, are we cool with that, guys? Yeah, yeah let's, let's do that. Okay, so so let me tell you guys really quick. I, I did a little analysis, a little checking things out, um, and if Duke doesn't beat UNC then we're not getting a buy. I mean, mathematically we could, you know, Notre Dame could lose to Miami and NC state, both those games at Notre Dame. But if you think Notre Dame's losing two straight home games, including one to NC state, I just don't see that happening. Um, so I, I think Duke, Duke needs to beat UNC. Um, and then, uh, and then we need Notre Dame to, to you know, uh, to hopefully maybe lose to Miami or if Virginia loses to Louisville, Louisville, um, uh, you know, or uh, Miami has two road games, Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. I don't think Miami's going to lose both of those. I think our best chance is that either Virginia loses to Louisville. Um, that game, by the way, is in Virginia or Notre Dame um, loses to Miami uh, at Notre Dame. If either of those happen and Duke beats New UNC, then Duke will get the double bye, which is an important thing because we don't want to play four games in four days, not with a team that is tired and is exhausted as this Duke players. team. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, and but but, uh, you know, I talk about this as we're also talking about UNC um, Carolina, by the way, I don't know if you guys noticed after they lost to us and everyone was like really down on them. They just destroyed Miami. They beat NC State very easily. And then suddenly they were back to being mediocre again. They lost to Virginia and they only beat Syracuse by five points on, on senior night in Carolina. You'd think they'd play. They just didn't play. And Syracuse isn't that great this year. So um, uh, I and Syracuse came back from from they had a great comeback to even be in that in that game. Um, they yeah. played really well down the stretch of the second half. Just they yeah. just came up short. So so let me let me kick it to you, Donald. Uh, you know, tell me tell me a little more. What a what are you expecting um, by the end of the ACC race? You know, do you think we can get that double buy and and give me give me some thoughts on what we need to look for in this Carolina game? Well, the good thing is we have one game. If we win this game, we are we're through. We're in the double buy, and we I don't I think. Well, uh, at that uh, point, again, well, we, we, we need Virginia or Notre Dame to lose. But yes, I think you're probably right. One of them will lose. Well, Louisville's out. So at this point, as long as uh, I think, well, I guess no, Notre no, Dame has no. been a tiebreaker, right? You need, you need Virginia or Notre Dame to lose. Right. Yes. Notre Dame. I'm sorry. Yes. Um, uh, for some reason, I was thinking Miami and I, I thought, no, they, they would be, they're they, too, they're too Miami, Miami and Carolina are both ahead of us no matter what. Right. So yeah. I, I think the. Yes, I think if we win, I think honestly, if we win, I think it falls in line that we do get a double buy. Uh, I, I I don't just call it a hunch, but I think that's what happens. Um, but we have to win on Saturday, and I think the key for that is we have to really hone down our rebounding because I think you know the one thing that the one thing against UNC is you know even though it was one of those games where holy crap we came you know we pulled that game off. We shouldn't have been in that game because of our rebounding. We shouldn't have been in that game because Bryce Johnson was a monster. Um, and if we can really limit him and we can limit, uh, you know, how many rebounds and second chance opportunities they have, 
that's really going to be the difference because you know what? We have the intangible now. We're at Cameron. That crowd is going to be live the entire game. It's the one game of the year that they have been waiting for. It's the one game they've been tenting for this entire time. The students are going to be jazzed up. The, the players are going to be fired up. We have to really take that intensity and put it to use, especially in the paint, because that's where we got killed uh, uh, a couple weeks ago um, when we played UNC in Chapel Hill. Uh, and Marcus Page, I think, you know, limiting him again, it, you know, I think if uh, it seems like Matt Jones is back to full health, and that's great. You know, we were talking earlier about him diving on the floor for loose balls and really playing good defense uh, down the stretch in games. I, I think that's what we're going to need. Um, I think that is going to be a really good test for him because he is going to be very important for us uh, defensively going down, you know, the rest of the way. And, it, you know, that he's back to, in my mind, 100% and he looks to be 100%, that's going to be a really good boost for us. Uh, and finally, you know, making good decisions on offense and not going into this uh, uh, run it, you know, running back and forth where we, we our, tra- our transition the last couple of games has been kind of erratic, um, in my opinion. And so I think if we can ver- be very efficient on offense, whether it's in, tra- in transition or in the half-court offense, I think we have a really good chance of once again beating UNC. Yeah, I think that sadly uh, a huge part of whether or not Duke can beat Carolina this weekend is on Carolina and and how motivated they feel. Uh, I think that one of the things we saw in the last game is that they, for whatever reason, lost their motivation down the stretch. They really, they really didn't play well. They didn't get the ball to Bryce Johnson. Um, Roy Williams, as as we talked about extensively here, um, didn't manage the end of the game very well. So I actually think that you know Duke has been. Uh, you know, from from game to game, I think that there's been some variation at Duke, but for the most part, you know, we know what this Duke team is, especially when it doesn't have Emil Jefferson. We know how the offense works. There's a lot of isolation. It's not necessarily the prettiest thing, but but for the most part, it's gotten the job done. Um, you know, save for the Pittsburgh game, and so I actually think that a lot of this is going to be on UNC. How motivated how motivated are they going to be to um, to claim the ACC regular season title, to beat Duke, um, to avenge that that horrible loss for them uh, in Chapel Hill. And, and I wonder how much Roy Williams is feeling at this point. He, you know, watching him in games recently, it seems like he's, he's tired of the season. He's kind of tired of the whole, the whole situation there. Um, And, and so I wonder if he's able to motivate his guys um, to get up for this game and to, and to get past a Duke team that, you know, let's be honest, Carolina is probably better than Duke, right? I mean, they've, they've had a better season to date for the most part. Um, They've got, you know, talented players but they have they have more talented players not that they are more talented but they have more of them than duke has at this point and uh and so there's a you know there's a reason that they were favored in the first game by many points uh there's a reason that they were favored in the acc this year and and who knows like i i I don't know if they are motivated at this point um to play to their ceiling uh which i think is a lot higher than we than we have seen from them so far yeah, I mean, how frustrating, you know, it's sort of funny. I mean, as Duke fans, uh, you know, admittedly, we had a stretch in January where this team struggled some, but but the season feels like it's going really well. Uh, you know, it doesn't feel like a season necessarily where we're going to win the ACC or where we're going to win the NCAA title, but you feel good about it because you feel like these guys are getting the most they can. Coach K is getting the most out of them. They're playing their hearts off. Uh, they're playing their hearts out, I should say, every time. Um, and, and they're representing us despite, you know, a couple tripping incidents in, in a great way that makes you feel proud of them. Um, and Carolina, who has a much better chance of winning the ACC and a much better chance of winning the NCAA title, probably feels like, uh, frankly, feels like shit about the season. They have not been nearly as good as anyone expected them to be. And, um, you know, they still have chances to do a lot of great things. But, but you know, it's not like you can look at their team and say, these guys have performed way above what I expected or even where I expected. Um, and so I, 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 I 100% agree with you. Yeah, and I, I should add, I guess, to to finalize my thought, uh, which is that um, I don't think that UNC – this is what I was speculating. I don't know what's going to happen if UNC is going to come out motivated or not. I don't think they are. I don't think that um, that Roy Williams has figured out exactly how to motivate this team to, their, to their ceiling. And I see Duke winning another game uh, against Carolina heading into the ACC tournament, which is going to make the Blue Devils feel really confident, I think, um, you know, the ACC tournament is going to be a real challenge for this Duke team that only has six healthy players. Hello, Emil Jefferson, where are you? Um, and, uh, you know, they're, they're going to play three, if not four games to have to win the ACC championship uh, and then go into the NCAA tournament where, as I said before, 
Um, they might be favored in one game before they're underdogs the rest of the way uh, or, or something close to that. So, okay, so really uh, quick, I want to play off of what you just said. Yeah, and Donald, Donald, I hope you're ready. I'm going to come to you first, Donald. Um, uh, Sam, you, you wrote this to me. Are, Donald, are, in regard to Emil Jefferson, are you team red shirt or team comeback at this point? Uh, Emil Jefferson, we, we have one regular season game left. Do you want him to come back or not? Well, I, I mean, a couple of weeks ago when we had this discussion, I said that he uh, should probably redshirt. Uh, and at, at that point, at this point, you know, that hasn't changed. Uh, I think uh, redshirting is probably the best option at this point, only because a lot of the things we talked about, if he was able to come back, would we be able to work him back into the flow of the offense and defense? I don't know if we have that kind of time. So yeah, I'm, I'm. I was going to, really quick, and, and then and I'll let you, Sam. Uh, I, I've also moved. Well, uh, you haven't moved. I have moved. I was on team comeback. After the UNC game, I was like, I want him to come back. I think there's time. I think there's not time anymore. Um, and, and more importantly, the reason I think he should redshirt is um, I think there's a chance. We, we've seen several Duke players that you're like, oh, I didn't think that guy would make the NBA, make a career in the NBA. Um, and I think Emil Jefferson is one of the guys who has a chance to do that. Um, you know, not saying he's going to be a, a first-round draft pick by any stretch, but I think he has a chance to build himself into the point where NBA teams give him a shot and where he gets an NBA career. I think that his best chance for that to happen is to come back and play a full season next year. I think that at this point, it would be much more difficult for him to convince NBA teams to give him a chance coming off of a season in which he was hurt and missed two-thirds, three quarter, more than three-quarters of the season. Yeah, and I would add that you know, if you look at the over the course of the season, the only like really um, talented teams that Emil Jefferson got to play against were way early. You know, he, he only played early in the season. He got games against Kentucky and VCU and Georgetown. And then after that was still most of Duke's schedule, most of the hard games that Duke played this year, a lot of which were in the ACC and then against Utah. Um, Emil Jefferson didn't get to play in those games. He didn't get that experience. As Jason, as you pointed out, he's uh, he's not getting the looks for um, for NBA scouting that I think he deserves. And you know, it's kind of hard to say, right? Because on the one hand, and we, we sort of already had this argument before, that um, on the one hand, this team is certainly feels incomplete without him. You know, they're, they're obviously missing another post player. Um, they could use that, that extra guy to, uh, to round out the, the minutes, to have the rest of the team not feel so tired. But at the same time, this team has kind of developed an identity on their own without him. Uh, Marshall Plumlee has developed into a, into a really special kind of post player, um, without having another guy down in the paint clogging things up for him. And Brandon Ingram has really flourished um, having to get guarded by college fours who really can't keep up with him on the perimeter. So this team kind of has a style that has worked for them. The defense somehow has gotten better um, in spite of Emil Jefferson being out. And at this point, you know, we when we talked about this a couple weeks ago, we said that we were comparing it to recent um recent Duke players who had missed most of the ACC season. So we talked about Kyrie Irving and we talked about Ryan Kelly and how Irving was probably integrated too late and how uh, integrating Kyrie back into the lineup ultimately, I think, hurt that Duke team, that and Derek Williams' shooting in the Sweet 16. But um, Ryan Kelly kind of came back like just in time to be effective. And he can't, and, and if he had followed the same timeline, Jefferson would have come back in this game tonight against Wake Forest. So Kelly had the one game against Miami and then, and then the game against Carolina in the ACC tournament. Um, Emil Jefferson's not going to have that. It looked like he was in the boot tonight against Wake Forest. So, you know, even if he's able to, to practice, uh, it doesn't seem like he's, he's totally pain-free because he's still, you know, he's still wearing the medical equipment. So I, I think I'm, I'm also with you guys. I think that to, for Emil's best interest, and I think for this team's best interest, uh, it probably makes sense for Emil not to come back this season, which, which really stinks. Uh, he was, you know, he was going to be the the leader in every way of this team. He was going to be the emotional leader, the captain of the defense, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and it just didn't work out for him that way. Uh, and it's a shame, um, but but this is the kind of thing that happens. And Jason, I think you're right. I think that uh, Emil Jefferson is obviously not going to be an NBA first round draft pick. He's only like six nine, and he plays power forward. And he's really skinny, um, but uh, but he he can prove um, with the way that Lance Thomas did in a similar kind of body and playing a similar role in college that uh, if he works hard enough, that he's going to find his way into the league. Um, and he's not going to really have a good opportunity to do that if he doesn't get to play at the end of the season here, uh, or if he only plays a couple games and he's not really effective and not necessarily healthy yet. I think it's a bummer that, um, you know, there was a lot of speculation that, Oh, he was going to come back in February. He's going to come back in late January, whatever. 
it's past, it's gone. Um, I think we just have to accept it. And at this point, you know, I, we all agree. Um, and obviously we're the most, we're the most intelligent and rational Duke fans out there. Um, <laughs> he, you know, we, I, we all agree that, that he should redshirt. And, um, and I think that everyone is going to be happier if he does. So I think this team won't get upset. I think that allows him to have a full senior season like he deserves. Uh, he doesn't deserve to be like in a walking boot on his senior night, like wearing a sweater. He deserves to be in, like on the team and starting and playing 30 minutes and et cetera, et cetera. So um, I hope that we have Emil Jefferson back on the team next year. Uh, by the way, one one quick uh, appendum to that. If if Emil Jefferson does redshirt and does return to Duke, the consensus among recruiting recruiting gurus is that Duke will not get Marquise Bolden, who is – I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I will take I will take senior Emil Jefferson, fifth year senior Emil Jefferson, over basically every recruit that we get all day. Um, all like I'm sure that Marquise well, not Harry Giles, not, not, not Harry Giles. Right? Saying, almost, almost, every, almost, almost every recruit. I, I, I don't like think I would Bolden, say Harry Giles. Yeah, Bolden, who's a top twenty recruit, and and you know he's the kind of kid who uh, probably wasn't going to be a huge, huge impact player in his first year at Duke. Um, uh, but the word is, you know, we probably won't get Bolden as a result. But I, I completely agree with you. I just wanted to add that so people would be aware of it. Especially, um, especially if Bolden thinks he's a one and done. I'm taking no, he, Jefferson's fifth year over over Marquis Bolden's yeah. one year. Right. Oh yeah, for sure. No question about that. No question about that. Um, and now watch, uh, you know, Bolden will go on to play three years for Kentucky and be an All American. And but uh, I don't care. I don't, I'd I, real. I, I'd still rather you know, have. I like. I like, I like Emil Jefferson. Do. I want to see him more. I want to see another year, mm-hmm. year of Emil Jefferson. You know, I, I feel like we 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 didn't get all that we uh, all that we were ready for. And, this year and, for and if Bol- and you know what, if Bolden uh, doesn't want to come to Duke because he thinks that uh, uh, he's going to get time taken away from by Emil Jefferson, that in my opinion, is his loss because I think he can learn a lot from Mill Jefferson. And I think a lot of these freshmen would, which is partly why I'd love to see him back next year. That leadership in a locker room is going to be very important. And I think he will be the guy to provide that. Amen, brother. I love loses, it. Particularly if this team loses Grayson Allen. Like I think, I think at this point we all believe they are. Yes. All right. Hey, so I want to move on to something really quick before we get to our parting thoughts and, and player of the weeks um, and wrap things up really quick, guys, give me a number. I want your projected seed for Duke in the NCAA tournament. So just give me a number, and then we're gonna then we're gonna ad- advance the game. But first, Sam, give me a number. Five seed. Five seed. Donald. Five. Okay, I'm saying four. Um, now, give me your best case and worst case seed numbers. Best case, of course, would be Duke beats UNC and goes out and wins the ACC tournament. Worst case is that we lose to you. UNC and then lose to, you know, NC State or Virginia Tech or someone like that in the first round of the ACC tournament. Best and worst case scenarios. Sam? I think the best case scenario for Duke is a four seed. Um, and I think the worst case for Duke is like a seven. Donald? I think if we beat UNC and win the ACC tournament, that means we're facing, you know, we're, we're probably beating three ranked teams uh, in, in the span of a week. Uh, I think we get a three seed out of that. Um, in the on the flip side, uh, if we lose UNC and lose on the first uh, on our first game of the ACC tournament, I think we're at a seven or eight. Okay, so I'm clearly much higher in this team than either of you. I think if we beat UNC and then win the ACC tournament, we're a two. Um, I I just think you know it'd be so so impressive to win the ACC three games in three games and then and beat UNC. Um, that would be probably a minimum of three wins in a week against teams ranked in the top 10. We're getting a two seed if that happens, um, uh, especially because the committee is going to look at what have you done lately. And the what have you done lately is going to be Duke had one bad game against Pitt. And other than that, they beat the snot out of everybody. Um, so that's best case. Worst case, I think is a six. I think lose to UNC and lose first round of the ACC. I think we're a six because I'll tell you something. You know, like I said, other than that pit game, Duke has been very, very impressive. You know, um, ESPN does their BPI, which is their sort of power ranking kind of thing. Um, and they factor in, you know, strength of schedule a lot, strength of your opponents and, and things. During the month of February, Duke was the number four BPI team in the entire country. Kansas was number one, Michigan State number two, Cal, California was number three, and Duke was number four. Um, so, you know, I think when you look at what we've done lately, even if, you know, again, even if our worst case happens and we lose to UNC and then lose at the beginning of the ACC tournament, I still think there's no way they're going to put us lower than a six. 
Um, if they made us a seven, if I was like the two seed and Duke was a seven, I'd be hopping mad. I would not be happy to be in that situation. And, and, um, and Jason, if it's anything to you, um, my friend Greg, who's uh, who's sitting behind me, is staying at my apartment, uh, and he's one of the most pessimistic Duke fans that I know, and he agrees with you. He thinks that Duke actually could get a two seed. So I, I uh, can see any you. of the I can see any of those seeds from two to like an eight. I think the the issue will be, and of course, we're going to talk about this a lot more next week. Um, the the issue is where we end up and who is in our in our group. Like for instance, I was looking at uh, ESPN's um, uh, latest bracketology. I guess this has been updated. Why, why would you Why would you look at, at that? Well, no, because <laughs> because it's, it's it's February. And it's Joe out. Lenardi's an idiot. Joe Lenardi's an idiot. But that's not the point. The point is, is you know, it's it's a good guessing game, and also it's a good like, Oh, you'll you'll see some brackets on some days where you're like, oh, you know what? Let's end the season now. Give me that bracket. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, no, you know, I know. <laughs> and so you're sitting there like you don't want to be put in Des Moines with Iowa as you know as your four, as a four seed right. and have Iowa as your five like CBS has. Us they won't do that. They won't do that. But you they, also they will yeah. not put Iowa as a five in Des Moines against. They won't give someone Anybody. a home game against a higher seed. They just don't do that. Right, and, and, and so you want to see like if if you if you have a soft three or a soft four. If you're you know if you're a three seed, you want a soft two. If you want to, if you're a four seed, you want a soft five. Uh, and, and I think as long as that happens, we have as good a chance as anybody. And because let's be frank, ain't nobody in college basketball a, a team that I'm scared of. One and two, there's nobody who can't be beat. So it, I think if if we get a good draw, it doesn't matter what seed we are. And so I can. That's why I see us uh, anywhere uh, on the line except for a one seed. I think the one seed's out, and I, I don't think we're going to be a nine. But anything else, I wouldn't be shocked. Okay. I like it. I can I can deal with that. Hey, Donald, as long as you and I are having this chat, let's let's do player of the week. Um, and, and then uh, uh, I will start with you. Um, we have three games to consider. We have the uh, uh, the Wake Forest game, the Florida State game and the Pitt game. Who is your player of the week, Donald Wine? Uh, I'm going to once again uh, this week go with Grayson Allen. Um, I think he he has proven time and time again that he is our you know best scorer and, the, and our go to guy uh, for a lot of stretches during the games. Uh, and I think this week was no exception. Even, uh, you know, he is probably one of the lone uh, real bright spots uh, against Pitt, along with Brandon Ingram, um, who also had a pretty good week. Uh, but uh, I, I think for, for all intents and purposes, Grayson Allen is, is my man, player of the week. Sam, what about you? Uh, you already uh, opened the lid on cursing on this episode. So I'm just going to say, fuck the haters. It's Grayson Allen. <laughs> I like that. I like that. I'm not going to make it unanimous, even though Grayson Allen averaged 23.3 points per game, which Take is Marshall pretty. Plumlee. Take Marshall I'm Plumlee. taking Marshall Plumley. There we because, go. Because <laughs> here's my thing: that pit game. Uh, yeah, Grayson scored 22 points, but you know, no one, no one really played great against Pitt. So I'm tossing the pit game out, and and saying if you look at the Wake game and the Florida State games, he had double doubles in both those games. Um, uh, 13 and uh, 13 and 17 against Wake, and and, and then uh, he had 13 and 10 uh, against Florida State. Um, you know, uh, he, he is he has been our rock uh, in the middle, and uh, and so I'm taking uh, MP3 as my player of the week this time. Um, that moves us on to uh, what? I said I like it. I'm glad that somebody took him. Thank you. Thank, I, you know, I usually just go for the guy who scores the points. This week, I'm going for the guy who grabbed the rebounds. Um, so time for parting shots. Uh, Sam, I will start with you. What you got for me, babe? Well, uh, it's it's a brief one uh, and, and mostly inconsequential. But um, I mentioned the other week that there was a potential that Duke might be playing at Denver in the first round of the tournament. Um, my opinion on that has not changed. Uh, but I did find out today that one of my friends has tickets to all the uh, games, all the NCAA tournament games in Denver. Uh, and he was like, do you want to go with me? And I was like, yes, I do. Um, so regardless of whether or not, regardless of whether or not Duke is there, uh, I will be attending the uh, first and second round games, at the Pepsi center. And I will probably be wearing a Duke shirt. Uh, if I had to guess. Very nice. Very nice. Donald parting shot time. So I, I, you know, of course the ACC, uh, tournament will be here next week. Uh, I'll probably show some love, uh, at our, on our next podcast after the UNC game. Uh, but this week I get to, I'm going to show some love to Denver. Um, as I said before, I was out there last week, uh, last weekend um, for the stadium series game between the Detroit Red Wings and the Colorado Avalanche, uh, one of the big rivalries in, in uh, the NHL. Uh, but I, I think I, I just have to say Denver showed me an incredible time. Everybody there was so warm and friendly. There's so many yeah. things to do. 
Uh, and even like, I mean, this is a major bitter rivalry from the nineties and, uh, Avs fans were very, very warm and, and friendly and cordial. Uh, even the ones that were kind of trying to talk trash, didn't really talk trash very, you know, you know, the, it, everything was very cordial and very peaceful. Uh, and, and you know what? It was two great games. Um, there was an alumni game Friday night. The main event was Saturday night. Uh, I had great seats for it all. I was right above the, basically right above the ice on the second deck. I could see everything. And I think that the games were great. Coors Field is a beautiful stadium, by the way. Uh, I'd like to go back there to see a baseball game. Um, but uh, I, all in all, everything was a great weekend. Thank you, Denver, uh, for showing me a great time. Thank you my fr- for, to my friends uh, who helped uh, in, that, uh, in, in that fun. And uh, Denver, I will hopefully see you soon because that was, uh, that was great. And you didn't get to see me, so so the next time. Right, so it's got to be better next time I go. It's got to be even better. Donald, I don't know if you know this, but Denver is generally a nice place. Um, And that was the case a few years ago. And then uh, I don't know if you know some recent legislation that has passed here. uh, I do. It's just made our our city just a a little bit friendlier in a general sense. Yes. (laughs) And hungry. uh, There was some great food. I have munchies. Very hungry. hungry. (laughs) Um, I I would be pretty shocked if you came here and said that, and said that my neighbors were, were rude to you, uh, even at a sporting event. Right. It, it was great. Uh, Everything was fun. So, guys, um, for my parting shot, I'm, I'm going to give you two numbers. Um, I have two parting shots. And my, and my two numbers, um, I'm going to see if you guys can guess what my parting shot is about. The first number is 229. Is that the number of three-pointers that Steph Curry hit this weekend? No. That's no. Number, that's number of three-pointers attempts that uh, Max Hooper Max Hooper, Max Hooper, two hundred and twenty-nine. I, I knew. I, I knew. I, I'm gonna let you tell your story because I, I saw this this weekend, and I was like, Jason has to talk about this. But go and ahead. Jason is gonna talk about it. Max Hooper is now at two hundred and twenty-nine three-point field goals on the season, um, and has not attempted a single two-point field goal. He's two twenty-nine for two twenty-nine on three-pointers. Max Hooper, by the way, was named Horizon League Sixth Man of the Year. He averages more than 10 points a game off the bench, shooting nothing but threes, shooting nothing but threes for Oakland. But the reason I'm talking about him is because um, really a beautiful, beautiful moment. Um, And I'll post on the DBR. um, There's some video of this. Uh, Max played his senior night game for Oakland the other day, a few days ago. And um, his father, Skip, who, who we mentioned is one of the leading booking agents in the world, books um, Fish and the Dave Matthews Band and, and really one of the, the top people in the music industry. Skip Hooper has cancer um, and is not doing very well. And Skip surprised Max by making it to senior night. Um, Skip had to watch the game, had to be in the gym in a bed. He was up in the stands. They, they wheeled him in in a bed so he could watch his son Max play his final um, college basketball game, you know, at home. Um, and then after the game ended, Max ran up into the stands and gave his father a big hug and a kiss as his father, his, his cancer stricken father was, was in a bed in the stands. Um, really a, a beautiful, beautiful moment, um, you know, for a kid who's, who's, who's not going to make a, a pro career probably out of, out of playing basketball, but does it because he loves it. And I'm, and I speak as a father of two sons who both play basketball, um, there's absolutely nothing on this earth that I love as much as watching my kids play sports, watch them play basketball, baseball, soccer, which are the sports they play. Um, so I totally understand why Skip Hooper said, I don't care about this fucking cancer. Get me to the gym. I don't care if I have to be in a bed. I'm watching my son play basketball. Beautiful, beautiful moment. It was a great story. So, I'm glad you, I'm glad you, I, I just wanted to chime in. Uh, I saw it earlier, uh, uh, this weekend when it happened. And, and the one thing is, uh, that I think you forgot to mention is that I don't think Max knew his dad was going to be there. I think they, uh, right. right. I I apologize. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. It was a surprise. It was a surprise. So he, so as soon as the, the game was over, they saw, he saw his family up and, and then he saw his dad in, in the little hospital bed on the concourse. So he ran up the steps to the concourse and the great thing about it, it wasn't just him, his entire team did too, um, to all shake his, uh, his father's hand. So I thought that was a really good story. Yeah, yeah. So my other number-related thing, I put it out to you guys, and I think I think you sort of, Sam, I think you sort of guessed it already. My other number is 38.4. Is it, it must be something to do with Steph Curry. 38.4 is the distance of the, of the ridiculous, absurd <laughs> shot that Steph Curry hit <laughs> to win that game was, against Oklahoma City. 38.4 feet. It was That's amazing. crazy. It was crazy. It was I, 
I, my, my, I was watching it with a couple of friends and we were just like, like starstruck um, by the end of that game. I had just come out of the stadium series game and my phone started blowing up with holy shit, Steph Curry. And so I ran like the first place we could see a TV. There was it apparently had ended 20 minutes before I walked up and they were still showing the replay. Nothing I, short of brilliant. I, I, I mean, I must've watched the shot like 30 times that night. I, I probably that's... watched it. Yeah. Did, it, it, have easily. Guys, have you guys seen the, um, the chart they put up on 538 of the, like his his current trajectory of threes made relative to like the best seasons ever. Oh, um, it, no. yeah, it's it, like a joke. It, it's a joke. It, it's a, it's a total joke. Um, if you haven't seen it, um, I guess I can uh, I can find it and link it to it um, on this post. Um, but there's an awesome 538 chart that shows like the top I think like 20 or 30 um, three point like totals um, seasons. Uh, it's a chart that's like on the x axis. It's it's the number of games. Then on the y axis, the number of um, is the number of three pointers made and like all the ones at the top are Steph Curry and the one this year is like a totally different steeper slope than everything else. It, it's it's just mind blowing um, what he's doing this year. Yeah, but also there's another there's another number you forgot to mention. Um, the the number is twenty six for fifty three and that is his uh, three point uh, total um, from twenty eight to fifty feet. So. <laughs> It's 26 of 53 That's from a distance of 28 to 50 feet, 50 feet being half court. So, yeah, dude is. That's just stupid. Are you kidding me? And it's not like he's doing like running like half court shots. He's shooting these. So yeah. as Bomani Jones is saying, they're, they're talking about where do you guard this guy? And, and they talked about uh, the guy, uh, I think it was Roberts, Robertson or whoever, uh, who was trying to guard him and just kind of backed off. And then as he, as Steph Curry stopped, you could see the guy turn around and go, "Oh no, I made a mistake." That's Steph Curry, and you, there's a there's a, a video uh, where it's frozen and uh, still image, and you can see the crowd, and you can see about forty people in the crowd, including three guys on the Thunder bench, where guys have their hands on their heads as if to say, "This guy's about to shoot and win this ball game, and it, and we can't do anything about it." it. That's the that's the one thing about Steph Curry. I mean, if you guard him from the time you get out, get out, he gets outside his car to get to the gym, you still can't do anything about it. There was a there was at least one shot he made that in that game because I watched most of that game um, where Stephen Adams, who has about an eight or nine inch advantage on on Steph Curry, had his hand like in Curry's face from 28 feet back. And Curry just launched a, a three pointer with like perfect form and, and switched it. Yeah. Right. Like 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 who does that? <laughs> like so, how do you stop so, that? though? So <laughs> on on. On Monday last week, Curry came to Atlanta. The Golden State Warriors came to the, to the Hawks, and and Curry scored 36 points, five of 11 three pointers, 14 of 22 shots overall, 36 points, eight assists, six rebounds, and that was his worst game of the week. <laughs> that was his bad game. Yeah, and that was talked about. That was the game that he uh, shimmied in front of the uh, uh, Hawks bench. I watched that game too. He oh, shimmied yeah, he in front of the Hawks bench as a, as a three went in. Like he turned around as the ball was in the air and started shimmying as the ball switched through. And people were like, I was like, that's probably the closest we've ever seen Steph to be, to being disrespectful. But there was nothing more disrespectful than that. Three, than that. Uh, no, no. And, and he wasn't, it wasn't being disrespectful. It was that his Kent Bazemore is a buddy of his. Right, right, and, right. And, and Kent was on the bench there because Kent, Kent plays for the Hawks and he's a fairly good player for the Hawks. Um, and, uh, and Steph was sort of showing Kent up a little bit. It was just friendly, but I mean, right. 36, Six and eight was his worst game of the week. The you know right before the uh, Oklahoma City game where he scored forty six, he scored fifty one against Orlando the other day, fifty one on ten of fifteen three pointers. Like he's, he's hitting through the week, he hit like two thirds of his three pointers, and he took like fifty or sixty of them. It's just it's it's crazy. It, By the way, the luckiest it's not humanly possible. It, it's not humanly possible. The luckiest guy in the world right now, Anderson Verjao. That man yep. somehow yeah. walked from a just got himself a ring. Just walked into a ring. To an excellent situation. He doesn't have to play, and he's just he, the first day. He was like, "I can't believe how much fun I'm having not playing." Like that that an NBA player telling you that like he doesn't even want to go into the game. He just wants to sit and watch the show. Yep, it's special. It is special. Um, and speaking of special, I hope we see something special from the Blue Devils on uh, Saturday against uh, UNC. Is it Saturday or Sunday? Wait, is it Saturday? Saturday. Saturday. Yes, it is Saturday, 6.30 p.m. 
Um, Duke plays UNC at Carolina. I know the Cameron Crazies will be out in full, full, full force. Um, we will be uh, watching and then uh, listening out for another podcast. I'm sure we will get one to you after that game before the ACC tournament starts. Um, Sam and Donald, thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you, Jason. If uh, hey, if folks are if folks are going to be up skiing in the uh, Colorado mountains this weekend, we're having a hoops watch party. Um, so come check it out. Just where in the middle of the mountains? I mean, is yeah, there a yeah, specific yeah. city? No, in uh, in, in uh, Silverthorne, Colorado. You can uh, find all the. Uh, details. Donald also knows all about these things, but uh, you can find all the details on the Duke alumni page. They have um, they have a special hoops watch section where you can find all the all the locations. So any Duke fans who are listening who don't know where to watch the game with Duke fans, uh, go to the Duke alumni page and you will find uh, hoops watch locations, including one this weekend if you happen to be skiing up in Summit County. <laughs> I like it. I like and it. That works. And if you're in DC, Laughing Man Tavern is where you want to be. Go to Hell Carolina. Go to Hell Carolina. Oh, Sam, I thought you were going to chime in there. No, uh, go to hell, Carolina, go to hell and eat shit. <laughs> Duke fans, Duke fans, take us home. <laughs> we're done.